Okay, we're small but mighty today. So uh, think about Gideon's army, you know, there's a small group. I'm going to ask everybody to move forward if you don't mind doing that. If you do, it's okay. We won't come get you, but, but it'll just help us be a little more connected, a little more intimate. If you don't mind moving forward just a little bit. Jeff is right in the front row. There you go. We're doing something a little different. In each of the services today, we're uh, saying a few words and introducing a few people that you know already. There's an insert in your bulletin you might want to find on Thanksgiving for Kingdom Service. We want to take a moment to recognize and say special thanks to three outstanding couples with long-standing roots in Houghton, various ways, and to this church and over 50 years of missionary service. And listen to this list. Not just the Millers, but the three couples combined. Covering church planting, literature distribution, pastoral and professional leadership training, North American mobilization, Bible translation and language development, radio engineering and management, nursing and discipleship, and major field and international leadership. That's that's an amazing list for just three couples. It ought to be about ten couples. And these are amazing people. We're not sure how many churches can claim to have three couples in their fellowship representing over a half a century. That sounds real neat, half a century, of serving our King, Lord Jesus. So you'll find this brief uh, little insert in your bulletin. We don't want it to end up on the trash pile. We'd like it to actually... Uh, Go home with you and you can read more than we're going to take time to say today about each of these couples. So in this service, you're privileged to meet once again Carolyn Payne Miller and her husband John. John was not preaching a couple of weeks ago. And our missions uh, month last month, we just didn't have time in every service to do this, so we're doing it today. John and Carolyn have labored for the Lord with Wycliffe Bible Translators and SIL, Summer Institute of Linguistics, in Vietnam and in the Philippines, Malaysia, and Thailand, the Bru people of Southeast Asia have the Bible in their own language as a result. They also have held significant area and highest international leadership roles during their years of service. It's an honor to welcome them back to Houghton in this time of deserved slower pace but continued very active service and participation in Bible translation in Asia. So Pastor West just going to present them with something and we get a chance to say thank you. First of all, we have a copy of the insert in color. That's just as a keepsake for you. And also we have a, uh, a picture of the world with uh, Southeast Asia highlighted. And the passage from First Chronicles 16.24, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. And we just simply want to say thank you for your faithfulness, your service. Uh, you're an inspiration to us. And uh, we appreciate it so much. We ought to give him a thank God you. Bless you. <laughs> Thank you. We're delighted to be with you. We feel honored to be a part of the Houghton community and congregation, and we've appreciated so much your prayer for us and your financial support, and your welcoming us back from time to time as we return to Houghton. Thanks so much. Please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God together.
shepherd king, you lead us by still waters. Save power lives in 
Father, we are in awe of who you are, how you've revealed yourself to us in Christ, and the promises you've given us about that day to come and about every day now. Father, we have come to worship you. We've come to open our hearts to you. We have come to to offer our praise to you, and we have come to pour out our hearts to you about the needs and the burdens of our lives. We recognize, Father, that as we come today, we, we represent the reality of life in this world. We know all too well our struggles in this life. And so we come today believing that you are good and merciful, that you call us to to confess our sins to you and you call us to receive your forgiveness through Christ. And all we can do is offer our gratitude and thanksgiving with our words 
and with our lives. Lord, as we gather today, we know there are people among us who are grieving. May they know your comforting presence. We know there are others among us who are struggling with illness, pain. May they know your healing grace. Father, there are relationships that are not what we want them to be, and we ask that you will, you will heal them in your restorative grace. And Father, we think about not only the, the work in our lives and the ministry of this church, but also the churches around us. We pray today for the Wellsville Bible Church and Pastor Kenyon. May they know the, the anointing of your spirit on them as they worship today, as they unite their hearts together, as they, as they present a united witness to Wellsville and the surrounding communities and even the world. And fathers, we think about the world. Our hearts are burdened by ongoing places of violence and war and hurt. We read story after story of human beings treating one another as commodities. And if it breaks our hearts, it does so even more yours. We pray, Father, that you will so work in our world that we, you bring an end to the kinds of behaviors and structures and systems that make people commodities to be used, bargained and bought and sold. We think of refugees around the world. People who have no fault of their own have been uprooted violently from their homes, from the places of security, the places that are unknown and insecure. We pray, Father, that as your spirit works in this world, they will be able to return to their homes. We are grateful for the Christians in, in Iran who have... Uh, in Iraq, that have, are returning even now from uh, a refugee existence. And some of them are finding home like it was. Others enter places that no longer look like home at all. Destruction, devastation, despair. We pray, Father, that, that for our brothers and sisters in these places, that you will heal them physically and emotionally and spiritually that they will know your grace upon them for their own lives and as they bear witness of you to others. Father, we want to thank you for people like John and Carolyn Miller, the Hesses, the Shays, who have given virtually all of their lives to serving you in places that are not their home. Thank you for the sacrifices they've been willing to make for the work they have invested themselves into, for the time and the energy they've given, and given willingly. And to be able to watch and see what you are going to do and have done and will do and are doing, we give you thanks. Father, we know you are here with us. We are grateful for your presence. We pray that you will speak into our hearts as we continue in worship, 
as we continue to open our lives to you. And as we begin the season of Lent, may we we sense even more the power of the cross and the grace of Christ Jesus. And we ask this in his name. The scripture reading for today is, <clears throat> pardon me, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where's the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Wednesday night as we're doing our annual races again. Um, Buddy Keith was so instrumental as we, uh, in helping kids through the years of building their cars and <clears throat> cutting out the sailboats and, and uh, being a big part of that. And his family has continued that. They're supplying prizes for the night. And so if you have children that are in the age group to come and be a part of that, we want them to do that. You can pick up, actually, they pick up kits in the second floor of the CE building behind us. But even if you don't, it's a great opportunity to support our children to come. There'll be a lot of activities. I'm pretty sure there'll be food. Usually there is. So if not, you can hold that against me. But I think there will be. Um, And uh, it's just a great time to get together and to support our children. So we hope to see you at 6.15 Wednesday night.
One other, well, a couple other things. One is an insert in your bulletin about pictures, and we're doing another directory, uh, pictorial directory. Uh, if you have been in, the, if you're in the last one, you don't have to get a new picture to be in the directory. But if you weren't, or if your family has changed, or you just want to get a better picture, uh, try that. Then uh, let me uh, encourage you to sign up. You can sign up after the service, right in the back, or you can uh, online. You can go to the church website to do that. But there are a couple of dates for that in uh, the mid of, mid part of March, a week and a half from now, and then in April, also a few days as well. One other thing to remember: next Sunday is the time change, and uh, so daylight saving time begins. So we move our clocks ahead an hour. So if you forget to do that, you'll be late for everything on Sunday. So uh, I just want to remind you about that for next week. Let me invite you to uh, share a word of greeting with others here. Um, find someone maybe you don't know. Introduce yourself as uh, we, we come together in worship and greet one another. We all like to be right. I'm right, right? Of course I am, yes. You know, we don't only want to be right, we want everyone to know we're right. You get in a situation where it feels like people might not see how right we are, we often try to help them see that. We want people to know how, how, much, how smart we are. We want people to know how gifted we are. We want people to understand that we follow the right person, that we have the right ideology, we're part of the right political party, whatever the case may be. I mean, you just take five minutes on Facebook and you can see it all over the place, right? I mean, it, it, I, think it's, I think it's a lot of what's driving the political landscape in our country, not just now, but it's probably been going on a long time. We want people to know we're right. And that mindset is not limited to to people outside of the church. The church is not immune from that. All you have to do is is, uh, take a perusal of Christian books and you will find all kinds of arguments for I'm right, you're wrong. And and I know more than you do. I've figured things out that you haven't figured out. I am right. It's just a part of human nature to want to be right and want people to know we're right. Whatever we may be talking about. But that's not a new problem. That's not a a new dynamic. That's been going on a long time. In fact, when you read 1 Corinthians, you find that that's what's driving a whole lot of what Paul writes in this whole letter. In, In the section right before what we read this morning... Paul begins this in verse 10 of chapter 1. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. 
Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose, because some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels. Some of you are saying, I'm a follower of Paul, I'm a follower of Apollos, I'm a follower of Peter, I follow only Christ. I'm convinced that what drives this whole letter is this problem. And Paul addresses this problem in a whole variety of ways throughout this letter. And in this letter, we have him talking about a whole lot of things. He talks about uh, communion. He talks about worship. He talks about the love chapter is in 1 Corinthians. He talks about speaking in tongues. He talks about the spiritual gifts. He talks about the resurrection. All of this, in one way or another, is addressing this human issue of, I'm right, you're wrong. Disunity in the church. Because here's what you sense when, you, when I hear him saying, I follow Paul, Peter, Apollos. The, underlying that is this, is this certain element of arrogance that says, I'm right and you're not. Something about me is better than something about you. And that makes me a better person. That makes me smarter. That makes me wiser. That makes me closer to God. That makes me more spiritual. Pick whatever word you want to describe it. It, impl- it is centered in this arrogant mindset of boasting, I'm better than you are. And Paul finds that idea so detrimental to the church that he writes a whole letter about it. And in fact, it is so detrimental that he can talk about all kinds of things. And it, and it directly connects back to that human problem of arrogance and boasting. But the first thing Paul talks about The first place he goes to to show the the Corinthians the solution to this problem is the cross. So after he he says, I've heard that you all are quarreling with each other. I've heard that you're fighting. I heard there's disunity. I heard you're divided. The first thing he says is, let me remind you about the cross. Now he says the cross is foolish to people. The cross is foolish to, to Jews who are asking for signs, to, to Gentiles or Greeks who, are, who value human wisdom above everything else. To them, the cross is foolish. And what he's saying is, you're acting like these people. You're acting like the cross is foolishness because you're ignoring it. Now, Paul, of all people, understands what the Jews are talking about when they say it is foolishness. And he says it's a stumbling block to them. Deuteronomy tells, uh, says that anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed of God. And right after that, it says if you let a person hang too long, the whole community is going to be cursed. So there is this connection in the Jewish mind to things like crucifixion, execution, that is directly connected to the curse of God. So for Paul to say... That the core of our faith, the center point of our faith, is the crucifixion, the cross, is incomprehensible. I think that's a lot of why Paul feels justified in persecuting Christians before he encounters Jesus. He's not trying to be evil. He's doing what makes sense. That Christians are, if if these people have built their lives around a man who hung on the cross and was executed, then that man was cursed by God. How can you say you're a follower of God when when that's the connecting point? 
People who say that are either heretics or crazy or both. You see, for us, the cross is a symbol that we, we adore. I mean, you know, we, we love the cross and, and we, think we put this cross up. And it, while it does probably bring to our minds emotions of sadness because of what Christ endures, it's also, it also brings emotions of joy because of what Christ endures for us and what the cross means. So, but in first century Palestine, it would not have been that way. So maybe if it's first century Palestine, if we were to equate that, what we might put here instead of a cross would be an electric chair. Or maybe a gallows. Maybe a gas chamber. And I don't know of many of us who would say, uh, the guy who was, who was put in the electric chair, let's follow him. I mean, that's... that's That's a place of shame. It's a place of death. It's not something you you celebrate. And yet, here are the Christians, Paul says, celebrating this place because it's Jesus. No wonder I think it's foolishness. And for the Greeks, it's all about wisdom. How much do you know? How much do people know that you know? And, and And Paul is saying, knowledge is important. I mean, he talks about that in a variety of places. Knowing God, knowing about God, that's important. But when that becomes the central focus of your existence, you have missed it. Because if knowledge is the focus, then you're going to become boastful and arrogant about how much you know and about how much you want other people to know how much you know. And only the cross brings us back to the sense of humility Instead of arrogant boasting. I mean, you think about it, the cross is really, it's really kind of a crazy thing for us to embrace. Philip Yancey writes in one of his books about being in, at that time it was Bombay, but now Mumbai, India. And he said that, you know, this place where the four, four of the great religions of the world sort of coexist pretty well together, in that city at least. And he took a walk one day and he, he passed, uh, he said, well, everywhere you go, you find... You find symbols of, of the Hindu faith. All the bright, colorful images of the gods that they worship are all over the city, not just in the temples, but even in the little carts that look like vendor carts that you see on the street corners. And then as he continued his walk, he went past the mosque. And the mosque was, couldn't be, be more contrast than the Hindu. They have, they have no images, but they do have the spire, the minaret on top of the, of the mosque that's pointing toward the heavens or Allah, that he is one. And he says, as he continued his walk, he came across a Buddhist center. And he, he went in, and among the smell of incense, there, was, there were the, the monks in saffron robes, uh, in silence and solitude. And, and all of their intent was to sort of empty their minds of everything. And the symbol of the Buddha there, sitting, watching. And then he came upon a Christian church. He said, in many ways, it looked a lot like the mosque, with one difference. At the top of the church spire was a cross. He said, you know, I've seen crosses all of my life, and I really didn't think that much about it. But being in that culture and seeing all these other images of worship, it all of a sudden struck me, I understand why people think that's foolish. To say that, that... 
the, the core of, of what it means to be Christian, what the image of our faith is a cross, really in many ways makes no sense to how we think about how things happen in this world, how you get things done in this world, how things are accomplished in this world, where you find power in this world. You think about the gods that all, all the other people, nations, and religions worship all throughout history. And the whole point of it is, you, if you're a god, you don't have to mess with the stuff that human beings have to mess with. I mean, that's the point of being a god. If you, if you have to mess with the stuff humans mess with, then what's the point of being a god? It's sort of like being a parent. What's the point of being a parent if you can't tell your children what to do and boss them around? I mean, that's the whole point of it, right? That's why you get into this thing. And so, you know, to be, for the, to be a, one of the gods in whatever pantheon of gods you may be talking about, there is this, this sense of power and, and separation from all the messiness of human life. And you don't have to mess with that because you're a god. Which is what makes what Jesus does so amazing and difficult to comprehend for people who haven't yet seen it. Because Jesus steps into the messiness. He doesn't try to... You know, when, sometimes we think when Jesus dies, Jesus leaves the earth, we wonder, things don't look all that much different. But Jesus doesn't come to all of a sudden magically make the world perfect. He comes to step into all the messiness of our world and to begin the process of healing. And he begins that process on the cross. Sometimes the cross feels like foolishness to people so much that they want to move it out of the Christian understanding of how we talk about our faith. And you will read varieties of people who will say, let's not talk about the, the Jesus of the cross of Calvary. Let's just think about the teachings of Jesus. But here's the reality. Without the cross, the teachings of Jesus are nonsensical. They make no sense. When you eliminate the cross... Why would, you, why would you care about being poor in spirit? Why would you think blessing comes from being poor in spirit? Why would you think the blessing comes from being meek? Why would you think that blessing would come from being merciful? If you remove the cross from the picture, why would we want to be persecuted and, and be willing to do that? If you remove the cross, why would we want to be humble? Why would we mourn for everybody else's pain? We got enough of our own. Why would we mess with that? Why would you turn the other cheek? Why would you go the extra mile? Why would we do all of these things that Jesus teaches if there's no cross? But the flip side is also true. When you think about it, if you examine the life of Jesus, the cross is the most natural place for Jesus to eventually end up. People who are hanging out with Jesus, if they were really thinking about what Jesus was doing and saying, if they were honest, they'd be saying to themselves, you know what, this is great, but uh, this isn't going to end well. Jesus, you need, to, you need to tone it down a little bit with the Pharisees. Jesus, you've got to stop hanging out with this group of people. Jesus, you, you, you need to, you, you need to uh, just sort of cut Pilate and Herod some slack. 
Because otherwise, this is not going to end up well. Do you, you do realize, Jesus, that when you talk about us being vulnerable and, and being servants, that that means people are going to take advantage of us? That means that people are, are going to be able to manipulate us and use us? Do, do you realize, Jesus, where this is going to end up? I think he does. And that's the point. And that's the point for you and me. As we think about our relationships, as we think about the places where, where we, there is division, there, there is a fracture in our relationships, there, there are places where things are not what they should be. Maybe they're at work, maybe they're in our homes, maybe they're with our neighbors, whatever. What's our mindset? about how we solve those things, how we, how we work toward reconciliation. I'm convinced the only way to do that, in, that where the end result is going to be genuine, real healing and restoration, is to, is to embrace the mindset of the cross. And that means we come to these relationships in a spirit of humility we come to these relationships, particularly where there might be something not right, asking ourselves, what do I need to apologize for? What kind of responsibility do I need to take? How in all of this have I not acted like Jesus? Because here's the thing. In some way or another, all of us have contributed because none of us are perfect. And our natural inclination is to do exactly what the people in Corinth are doing, is to step up and say, it's, I'm good. It's about me. It's not my problem. I'm right. And here's the thing. We may be right. We may be perfectly right. But Paul says that in some ways that's not really the point. The point is, wanting a good relationship and a healed relationship is more important than making sure people know your rights. And that is the rub. Because I don't want to do that any more than you don't want to do that. I'm willing to acknowledge things that I may not have done right, but I also want to make sure I get in there all the things that I have done right. And the cross is calling us to let that go. When we start talking about differences of opinion and, dis and disagreements, Paul's not saying you can't have those. In fact, I would argue that disagreements are one of the ways we learn. It's how we, it's how we engage. It's how our minds begin to wrestle with things that we haven't thought of before. It's how we, God changes our minds about things. There's absolutely nothing wrong with having a disagreement or a difference of opinion. It's the spirit in which we enter into it. Are we entering into it to win or to learn, to grow, to become more like Christ? In that spirit of humility and grace and patience and love, that looks like the cross. Because if, if the life Jesus lives naturally leads him to a cross, then what does that say about the lives that we live who are followers and disciples 
of that same Jesus. I saw an article this week that, uh, I mean, the article was fine, but the title was really intrigued me. It said, the title was, Lent is Back to Mess Up Our Lives Again. There's a lot of truth in that. Because in the season of Lent, of all times of the year, we're thinking more and more about the cross. We're thinking more about the willingness of Jesus to go to the cross. What that means for us. And somewhere in the midst of that thought process, God wants to shape us more and more into the image of his son. And he wants us to embrace the understanding that the way of the cross is the way of life. The way of the cross is the way of life. Heavenly Father, open our eyes to see what often feels foolish to us. It's difficult for us. But help us to see it's the way of life. We ask this through Christ. Amen. I'd like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God from all that he has given to us. was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way, the sin that promised joy and life, and led me to the grave. I had no hope that you Now, Lord, I would be 
Christ our King, your name, your name. 
tomb where soldiers watched in vain was borrowed for three days. His body there would not remain. Our God has robbed the Receive a benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.